Hey everyone, welcome to the Behavior Trap Podcast featuring your host, Alan Lowe. The Behavior Trap Podcast is an interview-based format show that features everyday ambitious behavior analysts that are currently working towards getting their certificate, or already have one. I believe every behavior analyst is making a difference, and well, I want to hear how they got there, what school was like, what they would do differently, and finally, what they're doing now. Hey, Sarah, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Ooh, I am stressed out. Grad school <laughs> is hurting. I bet. I'm so glad I'm done with that forever. <laughs> I feel your pain. <laughs> I wish I could say the same. You'll get there. Half. Yeah, you're almost there. I'm working on it. Yeah. What's the weather like where you are right now? Um, well, up until today, it was really, really cold. I'm in Ohio. And so it was like in the teens in the mornings. But today, it's finally back into like the 30s, I think. So mm. kind of warming a little bit. But I'm really, really hoping we get some snow days soon because we haven't had any this year. And I could I could use one. <laughs> or you like cold or heat? Oh, heat all the way. Oh, okay, cool. I hate being cold unless it's so- a snow day. <laughs> so I always surprise people sometimes with this question, but name three facts about you. Oh God. Go. Um, oh my God. Don't put me on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> I am originally from St. Louis. Um, I'm a diehard Cardinals fan, so that's all one fact. And then um I am actually a competitive Irish dancer. Ooh. Um and another fact is I'm left-handed. Ooh, left hands for life. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Nice. That means we're creative. <laughs> right? Exactly. Yep. It's the perfect field to be creative in, too. Exactly. So what got you into behavior analysis? And what's your backstory? Well, it's kind of a long, long way to get into into behavior analysis, but I'm glad that it was the route that I had to go. Um, I've always been fascinated with why people do what they do. Um, when I was at the end of high school, getting ready to think about going to college, um, originally I was going to get my undergrad in child psychology because I've always loved kids and I come from a really, really big family. My mom is the second oldest of 11 kids. So I have like 50 first cousins that we are all are very close. So every get together was always huge. And I was always playing with my younger cousins and babysitting. And I always just loved watching how children learn. So originally, I was going into child psych. But my mom was like, well, you're not going to get a job right away. because You're going to have to go to graduate school immediately after undergrad. And so I didn't like that idea. (laughs) Um, So I decided to go into special education instead. Um, I actually have a few um, family members who have special needs. Um, I have a cousin with Down syndrome, a cousin with autism, and another cousin who has like a chromosomal disorder or abnormality. And so I just was so curious, like how they learn, why did they learn differently than, than me? And um, so I was kind of immersed in that a little bit, even though I went to private Catholic school, I didn't have students with special needs in my school, but I grew up with it in my family. Um, so because of that, I decided to go into special education and, um, taught special ed, still teach special ed, um, and really didn't know anything about ABA, um, other than like the quote unquote stereotypical ABA of like discrete trial where you're just sitting at the table doing flashcards. And that's kind of at the time, this was like the early 2000s. That's kind of what I knew of ABA. And I, that's all I knew. I didn't know any, I didn't know, um, anything other than that. I didn't 
think that it was a good thing or a bad thing. I had no opinion on it other than, oh, that's where it's for kids with autism and you sit down and you drill. Like, that's all I knew. Um, but early in my teaching career, one of my students was receiving ABA in home. Um, his BCBA came to my classroom and she helped me implement some strategies to help decrease his aggressive behavior. This was a kiddo who um, I loved him dearly. Um, he had a lot of aggression, um, but also a lot of really good skills. And I was struggling with, he's got all of these amazing skills, but yet I'm also seeing so much physical aggression. I'm lost. I don't know what to do. And um, his BCBA came in and she was like, here's the plan we're doing at home. Here are some things that you can do in the classroom that are feasible for you because she knew I had other kids and it's not one on one all the time. And, you know, he's not in my room all day. And so she showed me how I can implement some pretty um, basic, easy strategies. And I mean, I immediately was seeing success. And I'm, I'm the kind of person where I seek out help. And if I can't figure it out, I'm going to be the one going out and trying to find the research and trying to find strategies. Um, and if someone comes in and says, Hey, I've got something that I can do to help you. I'm going to like say, bring it on. Like I will do whatever you want me to do. If you, if you say you can help me, show me what to do. So he started making immense progress. And I remember very specifically telling um, his BCBA, like, what is this magic? Like, what did you teach me? Because this is amazing. And she's like, this is ABA. And I was like, no, like, I did not know that ABA was more than just DTT. Um, so that really got me interested. And um, long story short, that BCBA that came into my room is now the clinical director at the clinic that I work at. So she's now my boss. <laughs> um, but after that year, that was, I think, my fourth year teaching. Um, it took me about six years from then to finally decide that I wanted to pursue getting my BCBA. Um, so I was just kind of, at that time, I think I was actually getting my first master's degree. I can't really remember the timeline, but, um, I eventually, you know, I was like, well, maybe I want to go into ABA. That sounds really cool. I really, I've always had the students who, um, have, um, more severe behavior issues. And I always had autistic kids as well. And I, they were just kind of my niche. I enjoyed them and I was good at working with those really tough kids. And I was seeing how ABA is effective and, but it just took me a long time. Cause I was like, oh, do I want to go back to school? <laughs> and this is gonna, it's not just going back to school for like a couple months. It's going back to school for like two years. So, you know, it's a big commitment. Um, so I kind of put it off and put it off. And then I finally decided to go for it. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the long and short of it. And I graduated, um, in December of t last year. So 2018 is when I graduated. So yeah. Oh. Your story is very similar <laughs> to mine. Mine was based off an SBC video. So it's a severe behavior clinic video. And okay. I saw some behaviors I've never seen before. I'm like, Oh, like, what's ABA? What can it do for this child? Yeah. And then I saw the after the treatment. I'm like, what? No way. I know. Isn't it's like amazes me. And like in my classroom now, a lot of people, um, you know, I teach high school now, and a lot of the my coworkers um, have 
known my students for a few years now and they see the difference that they have made in just this year and not to toot my own horn but I mean just I just am the one that says like look ABA can work and you can it can work in a classroom setting like that's kind of one of my passions is to kind of help people see that ABA isn't this scary thing that it's not I mean it can be overwhelming but it's not like just one more thing that we have to do in the classroom because I know that's a big concern of teachers is oh it's just another thing I have to do Um, but it is so powerful and it has completely changed my approach to teaching in general, like even academics and just the changes in my students, um, is just amazing. And it's just, I just love it. It's awesome. It almost gets you emotional. Oh my gosh. Yes. Like there are times where my students now, and even my former students, I like get teary eyed. Like that one student I talked about at the very beginning who kind of got me into it. Like I've caught up I've stayed in touch with his family and there occasionally I've I've seen him out in public and and we've caught up with um uh, how he's doing and stuff and like I get really emotional because I'm like you're doing amazing and like he's like getting ready to like figure out what he wants to do as a career and I'm like oh my gosh I remember when you were in my room like throwing things and having a really hard day and look at you now and and like some of my kids in my classroom now like you're manding with your pecs book without any prompts. Like this is amazing. And before we introduced pecs, like you were, you know, having a lot of aggression and now you you're learning, like there's a better way to get your needs met. And it's just, it's so cool to see. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. One, whenever I started at the, the Thompson center for autism and neurodevelopmental disorders, Mm -hmm. I had to go through employee orientation well, during that, you learn about the values of where you work, and we got to watch a video, and it showed, like, a child with um, diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder, and then it showed, like, the parent, the before, the after, and by the end of the video, I was, like, I was the only one in the room crying. I'm, like, why are you guys, like, crying? That's how I was at, at the PECS training, because um, I'm trained in PECS, and I am such an advocate for PECS as well, and um, I was at the PECS training, and they showed this video, and they were telling all these stories, and they had this one story of, I think they were in France. I could be wrong, um, but I know they, it was not in America. And they brought in the PECS trainers and there was they were at like kind of an institution like setting. And there was this lady there who was um, uh, one of the uh, individuals who lived there. And she was in her, uh, she was in her adulthood. I don't know how old she was, but I know she was an adult and she just had all these behaviors and no one can figure her out. And they get, they kept saying to the PECS trainers and the BCBAs, like, you're not going to, she's hopeless. You're not going to be able to help her. And, and they came in and they used, they taught her how to do PECS. And like, by the end of like one day, she was already like, doing amazing and manding for all of these things and you could just see the the change in her demeanor and she was like oh my gosh people understand what I need now and I'm like sitting in this training like holding back tears and everybody else is like not crying and I'm like why aren't you guys crying this is a beautiful story they changed her (laughs) life like this is amazing and yeah it's it's pretty it's awesome it really is so are you a BCBA now? Are you pursuing a doctorate? What are you up to? I, I am a BCBA. Um, I don't know if I will go towards the doctorate. I always say, like, that would be really cool to be called Dr. Hudgens. But cool. I don't know about the schooling. Like, right now, it's, when I finished my program, 
I was like, no more school for me. I'm done. (laughs) And I literally told my husband and my friends, I was like, if I even mention going back to school, you have permission to slap me. (laughs) It's just, I mean, you're experiencing it now. It is grueling. It's, it's hard. And I just, I don't know. I, it's kind of on the back burner right now, but maybe down the road, but not making that decision right now. <laughs> See, it's a strange thing. I'm in like the master's program currently, and I still have a year and a half left. Yeah. But I recently got married in July, and I keep telling my wife, I'm like, hey, I'm still pretty young. I'll graduate in a year and a half. Why not just go ahead and get it over with? <laughs> I'll be done by 30. You can call me Dr. Lowe. And then we have like the rest of our life. So yeah. I'm yeah. contemplating it, but... Yeah. I mean, I just received my syllabus this week for classes. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I can't imagine a doctorate syllabus like, oh, that makes my head hurt. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. What school did you attend? I went to FIT, Florida Institute of Technology. What was your day to day life? Like, um, oh, gosh. Well, so I did FIT completely online. Um, they have an amazing hybrid master's program um, and Partly why it took me so long to start a program was because um, uh, FIT at the time, this was like in 2010, I believe, at the time did not have a hybrid master's program. They had an online program, but not a hybrid. So Mm -hmm. what that meant was to get my experience hours and my supervision hours, you had to go to a site that was approved by FIT. And at the time, the the closest site that was approved by them was in Indianapolis, which is two hours away from me. And I was like, there's absolutely no way. Cause I would have to quit my job to go and get supervision hours. And so I was like, well, I guess that's out. Um, but then I went to, um, so I originally heard of FIT at the Ocali conference in Columbus, Ohio. So every November there is a conference called, um, Ocali. It stands for Ohio, uh, yeah, Ohio uh, Center for Autism and Low Incidence. And they have a conference every November that I usually attend. And the FIT had a vendor booth there and I got information about it. But the very first time they didn't have the hybrid program. So then a few years later, I saw them again at Ocali. And this time they had the hybrid program. And so what was different was you could go to any site within your location and the, they had to go through an approval process through FIT. So I oh. went to the place where I currently work and um, I had like a separate course with a mentor who would um, kind of, we, I had specific assignments that had to do with um, her evaluating my um, clinic that I worked at to see if it was an appropriate place to get my supervision hours. And, and of course it ended up, most sites do get approved, but um, it was an easier option because I could use anything that was close to me. And then we, there was just a process for FIT to approve it. So that made it much more feasible. And um, I was, I loved the program. It was, it really prepared me for the exam and um, I liked the format of it. So back to your question was what was my day to day like? So usually the first year of the program um, was kind of all the prerequisites. It was, a lot more laid back. It was all um, not self-paced, but kind of self-paced. Like we just had online videos to watch each week and then a a live online class that we attended every week. So we had to have the videos watched by a certain day of the week, but you could kind of fit that into your schedule during the week. Like if I wanted to watch them on Monday or Tuesday or whatever, and then like 
during the week you had a live class to go over the materials and that wasn't too bad. So I would get up, go to work and teach, um, come home and do my coursework. And then the second year was the grueling year where I started to collect my supervision hours and, um, I would get up, go to work, go to the clinic (laughs) for two hours after work and then do my online classes and study. Um, so the second year was really, really a lot harder and a lot more time consuming. Uh, yeah. Who was your supervisor at FIT? Um, I had a few. So um, because the second year is when you start collecting supervision, um, every semester um, my courses would change a little bit and I would get a different supervisor. So I had Dr. Aurelia Ribeiro for, she was my first one. She was amazing. They all were amazing. Um, Dr. Brian Neff. And then I had um, Tiffany Dubuque. And then I had supervisors at the clinic where I work now. Um, They are Nora Coyle and Bill Slusser. Um, And if anybody who's listening knows there's um, a Facebook group called the ABA study group, Um, Bill Slusser is one of the admins of that group. And he is amazing. He's got a lot of really good study materials that are free and, um, he's awesome. Nora and Bill are amazing. So now they're my coworkers. So yeah. What was one thing you remember most about your supervisors? Um, gosh, let's see. Um, I loved like at FIT, I loved having Dr. Neff. Um, he did just an amazing job relaying the concepts to real life and class was always easygoing. Um, and my class focused a lot on how ABA can be used in society and kind of, he talked a lot about how we can use ABA other than just in with autism and other than just in classrooms and with disabilities. And it was, we talked a lot about world problems and we read some really great books about, um, you know, how can we use our science to solve world problems? And um, it was just really fascinating to me to read about all of that and explore that. Um, so he was he was really cool. Um, and then my supervisors at the clinic, um, Nora Coyle is like, I want to when I grow up, I want to be her. <laughs> um, <laughs> she is just she's so full of knowledge. I love watching her work with kids and I love picking her brain. Um, she also used to teach special education, um, at the preschool level. So we have that in common. So, um, that's always nice to kind of have that to, you know, have that in common and I can kind of go to her with any like school related issues that I have. And she kind of com- comes to me with school related issues too, cause she's not in the classroom anymore. Um, but she's just so, um, she's just so wise. Like I, she just has like some of the greatest ideas and thinks outside the box And, um, it's just, it's really cool to pick her brain. Um, and then Bill at the clinic is, he is hysterical. He is like the practical (laughs) joker at the clinic. He's always playing jokes on us. Um, I, yeah, I call him like he's perpetually 12 years old all the time because he's just goofy. He keeps things light and easy and always keeps us kind of, um, you know, lighthearted because, you know, our jobs are hard and we can have really, really tough days, um, at the clinic and I can have really tough days at school and he is never angry. He's always trying to put a smile on our faces. Um, he is also really good at technical stuff. So he is, um, he's always creating different self-monitoring systems for our clinic to monitor how we're training our staff and keeping up to date with the latest changes with the board and the latest changes with insurance. 
Um, and he comes up with really great, um, efficient ways of recording data and um, templates for treatment plans and stuff. So he's kind of, you know, the tech brains of, of the clinic, which is really cool. So yeah, they're, they're, I've been so lucky with the um, supervisors that I've had and the experiences that I've had. That's exciting. Do you have any tips for incoming graduate students that are possibly looking into ABA programs? Um, I would say, you know, you really have to have a passion for helping these kids. Um, something that I find a lot in the school setting, um, which can, it frustrates me a lot, is I feel like sometimes it can turn too much away from um, kid-centered. And I feel like we really need to be focusing on what is the, what is the need for this child? Um, and, and kind of, yes, it's a lot, there's a lot of stress and there's a lot of pressure and a lot of responsibility on the teachers and the staff and the administration. I completely understand that firsthand, but at the end of the day, it's about the child and what the child needs and how are we going to make their life, um, better and have a better quality of life. So I, I strongly feel if you're going into this career, that needs to be your old, your number one goal. And that needs to always be your target at the end of the day, especially when we, you start getting bogged down with, um, some of the, um, like technical side of things like insurance and treatment plans and how you're writing something like you always need to be thinking the target is the child and what is going to help this child. Um, and then as you're in school, you need to eat, sleep and breathe ABA. <laughs> if you want to pass that test, you have got to like make this, make all the sacrifices you need to devote your time to studying. Cause that is, it's a beast of a test. For sure. <laughs> and so, I say this so much. No, no, go ahead. What was your question? I was just going to say, so do you think that's probably one of your biggest takeaways from school is just, yeah, I, I really think, um, you know, don't go into ABA lightly. Don't go into it thinking, um, yeah, I think this is going to be a cool career. Like, like you really need to, to have a passion for these kinds of people and, and be open-minded to working with a variety of kids because I'm, I'm very comfortable with students who um, don't have vocal language and students who have a lot of physical aggression. And I'm actually not as comfortable working with those who are quote unquote higher functioning just because I just happened to get in my classroom kids that were nonverbal and nonvocal. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm used to. So you need to be comfortable and open to working with a huge range of abilities and, um, and have that as your main focus point. And I think the other takeaway I had was just, you know, like when I was studying for the exam, like I literally, I got up at 4am almost every morning because I had to be at work at 730. But I really got to, I really got to work at seven because um, the kids came at 730. Um, so I got up at 4am, I studied, and then I went to work till three. And then I went to the clinic till 530 or six. And then I came home gave myself about a half hour or an hour just to decompress. And then I studied until the end of the, until I fell asleep basically. And then weekends were devoted to um, studying because I knew I couldn't study as much as I'd wanted to during the, the school week, just because my, my day was so packed. Yeah. Yeah. 
I think especially with your takeaway, something that's really stuck with me. So since I recently just got married in July, when I started this master's program, I didn't really know what to expect, how much time I'd have to commit, how much reading. Um, But I'm one of those people where when I commit to something, I give it my everything. So when I started this program, like once I got all these assignments, I'm like, oh, I just kept diving in and pretty much just like went and like dived really deep into like the literature. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, my wife was like, ah, oh, like I don't ever get to see you. Like, yeah. I'm like, oh, like, so it was, it was really interesting from like that perspective. Yeah. And I've had, um, you know, I had a lot of those discussions with my husband too. And a lot of people, I also tutor people who are getting ready to take the exam and, um, you know, I've told people, Mike, I was very honest with my husband. And I said, look, from the second I start studying for this exam until I have to take that exam, like, I I have to use every spare minute of the day in order to pass this. And, you know, we came to an, an understanding. And I said, I won't be cooking. I won't be cleaning. <laughs> I'm not going to be taking care of the dogs quite as much. Um, so I'm going to need your help. And it was just having that that open line of communication and having him understand how important this was and how much time it really was going to take really was helpful. And I try to tell other people, because I've had quite a few people reach out to me, how did you study? How did you make this fit into your schedule? Um, Because I do have like an insanely crazy busy schedule. And I said, look, if I can do it, you can do it. And the, you know, I don't have children yet, but I know people who have kids and I can't imagine how hard that would be to have to, um, take time away from your child to go study. Um, but I think you have to be honest with yourself that if you want to pass this test and if you really want to do this, then sacrifices are going to have to be made and mm-hmm. you will find those niches in your day, whether it's five minutes here, an hour there, um, you have to figure out what you're going, what's okay for you to sacrifice and um, what, what you don't want to sacrifice. And I mean, I had SAF med cards with me in my purse 24 seven. Um, I set a timer on my phone and it, like, it was basically like drop everything and do SAF meds for five minutes. And so that timer went off. I pulled them out of my bag wherever I was and read, read through them real quick. And then I was like, okay, I did my staff meds waiting in line at the mail, you know, at the post office or at the grocery store or wherever. Um, so you have to kind of be creative. The more packed your schedule is and the more responsibilities you have, you just have to learn to be more creative with where you're going to fit in your study time and work harder or work smarter, not harder and be more efficient. Um, but it's hard, but it, it is possible. Exactly. And I think before we go into our next topic about thesis is our capstone, I think one thing that we really should take away from this is I saw it the other day on Instagram, but there was this picture and it said, dear BCBA work, but don't forget to live. And that's, yeah. that's just been ingrained in my head. Cause it's so true. I see yeah. it. And, and that's something I tell people that I tutor is, um, studying for the exam is just like running a marathon. So I'm really, really active. I love doing Irish dance. I love running. I do races. I love like hiking and going bike riding and swimming. I love doing all kinds of athletic stuff and studying for any exam is, is like training for a marathon. So you need to put all the hard work in at the very beginning of your training. And then the closer you get to your exam, you need to start, um, uh, what's the word, uh, not pacing, 
um, tapering, you just start tapering off. So like runners, when you're starting to train for a marathon, you're putting in a lot of miles at the very beginning, the first, you know, phase of your training, the first like couple months of training, you're running a lot and a lot more long distances. And then when it's like a month out from your race, you're cutting back on those miles, you're tapering it off. Um, so because all the work is done and now you're just kind of maintaining stuff. So the same goes with studying for this exam. You need to start studying as far in advance as possible and study, study, study like crazy. And then when it's about a month ahead or a few weeks ahead, start tapering off and just do maintenance skill. Like you need to just make sure that you're maintaining everything. Don't study eight hours a day a month before, because if you don't know it by then, you're probably not going to get it like a week before the exam. So, um, and I, you know, I tell people and I did the same thing myself. Like I think it was two or three weeks before the exam. I didn't touch a book for a week. I was so, my, my brain was so dead. I felt so burned out. The thought of even touching a book, like I just wanted to cry. And so I was like, you know what? I'm not doing it. I'm not touching a book. I'm taking time and I'm going to watch Netflix. I'm going to go to a movie with my husband. We're just going to chill on the couch. I'm going to play with my dogs. And I am very, very sure that that is what has helped me pass the test because it just, it lets your brain absorb everything and, um, let it sink in. And it's just like, you know, when you're training for anything, rest days are more important than your strengthening days, because when you're resting, your muscles are repairing and actually growing. And when you're training, you're actually hurting, you're tearing your muscles down. And so when you, when you rest is when you grow. So when you take breaks from studying, that's when your brain is absorbing it and it's going into your long-term memory. So give yourself some breaks. It's okay to take a week off. (laughs) Um, But also be, be also honest with yourself with how much work you're putting into your studying, how effective you're studying, things like that. So sorry to ramble on there, but I know you're strongly about that. Yeah. So it's really good analogies. Yeah. So I can't remember. Did you have a thesis or a capstone? Um, at FIT, we had a capstone. So um, that is basically like you have to do an actual experiment. You have to do a research design, um, which was pretty cool. Um, I ended up doing it took me a while to figure out what I wanted to do. But since I am in a classroom setting, one of the major issues that I have that I know a lot of teachers have is training our paraprofessionals. Most of us don't get any separate time in the day to sit down and train paras on new IEP goals and how we're handling this behavior and, um, you know, anything new that pertains to the students. So um, that was I wanted to focus on how what are some good methods for training paraprofessionals. Um, And so I ended up um, choosing to use video modeling to train Mm -hmm. staff. Um, and I had always used video modeling with my students and, um, I knew that that was an, uh, effective, uh, research-based practice for children with autism. And I thought, well, can we use video modeling for staff? Um, and so I was doing some research and I found some articles that, um, did some experiments and designs using video modeling, um, with staff and compared it to like behavior skills training and, and things like that. Um, so I decided to go down that route. Um, so what I did was I used video modeling to train my staff how to implement DTT. So I am one of the 
probably few teachers in my district who knows what DTT is and um, can implement it just because I have that ABA background. And I, so I knew for sure my, my paras had no clue what this was. And um, so what I did was I um, took videos of me um, doing DTT and used it to train the paras. Um, so that I would show them the video of me working with a student and um, uh, kind of lost my train of thought there. Um, and then they would take that and learn from that video and then they would go and then implement it. They practiced it first with me and then I gave them feedback. They'd go back and watch the video um, and then they would go try it with a, with a student with me kind of there guiding them along the way. So it was really, really cool. And what helped was I use a curriculum um, at least that year, I used a curriculum called the STAR curriculum. It stands for Strategies for Teaching Based on Autism Research. Um, it's a really, really awesome curriculum that's based in ABA. Um, and it that program itself has videos, um, like video modeling as well. So I use those as along with the videos that I self-created. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So for those listening that possibly don't know what DTT is, can you kind of explain what DTT is? Sure. So DTT stands for discrete trial training or discrete trial teaching. Um, it is basically a way of very explicitly teaching a skill to a learner um, and in a very discrete way. Um, so it has a very clear beginning, middle and end of the instruction. So if I were to be teaching um, a child um, their colors. I may have um, colored cards on the table and I may say um, point to blue and they'll point to blue. And then if they got it right, I give them reinforcement, whatever the reinforcement is. And if they got it wrong, there's certain error correction procedures that you can do. Um, but it's very, um, very clearly explicit, like uh, teaching a, a very specific skill. Um, it's kind of what most people think of when they hear ABA. They're thinking of DTT a lot of times, um, but it's as we know, ABA is a lot more than DTT. But DTT is a it's a great um, teaching strategy, um, especially for a lot of my learners. So, awesome, great explaining. Yeah. What were some of the challenges for your capstone? Honestly, the only challenge was really finding someone to conduct IOA, so inner observer agreement. Um, that was a component that, you know, if you read Java and any of the research articles, um, you have to have IOA. You have to have someone come in and take data and see if you're agreeing. And that was just hard because I was the only one in my district who even knew what any of this was. And so um, I decided just to use my special ed supervisor because I just needed someone to take data at the same time that I was taking data and so that we could compare it. And just um, finding time to schedule it was really the only hard thing um, because a lot of times like the video part really didn't really wasn't that challenging. I just kind of did it as I sat down with a student. I just put my phone up in front of me and pressed play and or record. And that wasn't that wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. So it was really just kind of some of the scheduling things. Awesome. Yeah. So after you got your master's at FIT, mm -hmm. what was it like once you graduated? What, was it difficult finding a job? What was it like? 
So I um, continue to work in the school district full time. Um, and I also continue to work at the clinic where I got my supervision hours. Um, so I'm kind of the oddball where a lot of people, you know, they graduate and then they start applying to different clinics or maybe school districts that have BCBAs. And I was lucky that I didn't have to do any of that. <laughs> so I just kind of stayed on um, in my current roles at both of my uh, places of employment. So, yeah. Oh, well, that's pretty easy then. Yeah, I kind of <laughs> just rolled right in. So it was it was nice. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. What was one thing you knew? Like, what was one thing you wish you knew before you started where you're at now? Like at the clinic? Yeah. Um. Or did you know pretty much everything before you? God, I wish I knew everything. Um, I think the hardest thing right now is learning the insurance side and right. some of the things that I never have to deal with in a school setting. Um, and, and some of the more like uh, legislature type things like, um, you know, in, an, in a clinical setting, if we have scholarship kids, understanding like how the scholarship program works and um, what the what the government's going to pay for in a clinic setting. And like, you know, if we attend IEP meetings, like what our role is and how, you know, helping parents navigate that avenue, because on the teacher end, those are questions that my special ed supervisor always dealt with. So I never really had to deal with that. And now in a clinical setting, I have clients that are on the autism scholarship and um, I'm learning a lot of, of that area that I really had no, I, I don't, I still don't really know all of it and I'm, I'm slowly kind of grasping all of it. So yeah, that's been kind of a challenge. Yeah. What's your long-term plans in the field of behavior analysis? Well, right now, ultimately I would love to work in my district as a BCBA. My, one of my passions is helping other teachers, um, and in their classrooms and using ABA in their classrooms. Um, and I would love to work in my district as that we're kind of slowly going that route. We have, um, we are getting some of our teachers and some of our paraprofessionals, the RBT training. Um, but right now I don't know if it's, really in the budget to be hiring BCBAs. So I'm still kind of like feeling that out. They all like my district knows that I have my BCBA. Um, but I'm still kind of hoping that that could turn into something. Um, but I also have a really big interest in going to the clinical route, um, mainly because it's just such a different atmosphere. So for anybody listening who might be a special ed teacher getting their BCBA, if you're getting your hours in, in your classroom, first of all, I'm really jealous because I was not able to do that. <laughs> <laughs> and you're really lucky. But I highly encourage you to try to get hours or at least go observe if you're able to um, go into a clinical setting because um, it, it's just totally different. And it's really, really cool. And I really like the, the, the change. Like, I love the classroom setting. I love being with my kids. But at the same time, like it's it's draining, it's exhausting. I'm mentally exhausted and sometimes physically exhausted by the end of the day because you're constantly thinking of I have five students, so I'm constantly thinking of five kids all at the same time, all day, and three paraprofessionals trying to stay ten steps ahead of everybody. And then in the clinic setting, we have we do we do one on one. We also do groups. We do a lot of social groups and a lot of um, other groupings, and it's just easier for my brain to manage. So it's kind of a nice change and it's 
right now it's not as stressful for me in the clinic setting. So I could see myself eventually going the clinic setting. Um, cause the public school setting right now, it's, it's really challenging. I think getting, um, people to understand what ABA is and how to think more behaviorally. And I know I'm not, I'm preaching to the choir to a lot of BCBAs who work in, in the school setting and maybe teachers who are BCBAs too. It is really hard to get um, people to think behaviorally. And um, that's been a challenge in the little experience I've had using my BCBA skills in my district. So um, I kind of see myself eventually going to the clinic route, but yeah, we'll see. Yeah, that's awesome. We'll follow your dreams. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to go ahead and start wrapping some things up. So I have one final question for you. What's one advice you wish you could have told yourself when you were getting into behavior analysis or school that you know now? Or what's something you wish you would have done differently? Um, I definitely wish I would have gotten into it earlier. (laughs) Um, I wish I wouldn't have waited six years. But at the same time, I am a big believer that Um, everything happens for a reason and you need to go through what you need to go through to get to where you are. Um, so there's a reason why I needed to take, to take six years. Um, something I wish I could have told myself would be, I don't, honestly, (laughs) I don't know, probably just, um, you know, keep at it and, and be more confident in, in my skills. Cause at the beginning I just felt like, oh my gosh, I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, when really I did know what I was doing and I had, there was a BCBA that came into my classroom, um, to help me with a student at the very beginning of my program. And, um, her name's Jackie Deaton. I want to shout out to her cause she's amazing. And, um, she, uh, you know, I had this student who was very, very challenging. I didn't know what to do. I couldn't figure her out. And everybody in my district was saying, if Sarah can't figure her out, then what are we going to do? <laughs> <laughs> so she came in and helped me. And she told me, she's like, you are doing everything. a BC- Like you are basically acting like a BCBA right now. You just don't know it. You don't know that you know what you know. And I just didn't have that confidence because I was learning all of this amazing new knowledge about ABA. And I was like, and I told her, I said, my gut is telling me I need to implement this, but I don't want to do it wrong because now I'm learning all of these things and I want to do it right. And she was like, you are totally doing what I would be doing right now. You need to trust yourself and and be more confident in, in my skills. So, yeah. Well, Sarah, I had a pleasure of a time talking to you today. Me too. Thanks so much for having me on. Not a problem. Thanks for coming on the Behavior Trap Podcast. Thanks so much. See ya. Bye. Well, everyone, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Sarah. This conversation was the longest podcast to date, but I believe it holds valuable and critical information. And to be honest, I learned quite a bit. Don't forget, you can follow the Behavior Trap podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and Google Podcasts. And if you're enjoying these podcasts and shows, then give this podcast a five-star rating on wherever you're listening to this. Some positive reinforcement goes a long way. I am looking forward to talking to more everyday behavior analysts. See ya!